Welcome to the Evolution Exchange Nordic podcast. At Evolution, we are committed to helping people and Nordic tech organizations realize their potential. Our goal is to develop deep relationships with individuals, building trust to make doing business easier. I am Shania from Evolution Recruitment Solutions, and today I am your host. I'm joined by Nicholas Lotham, Head of Product and Technology at Tele2. And we also have Leo Nontrust-Burst, who is the Head of Product at Bontouch. Moody Bortolini, Global Head of UX at Asset at Blue Group. Sylvia Podanova, who is the Head of Communications Relay at Nexi Group, to discuss how to create a high-performing team. Before we delve deeper into the topic, let's work our way around the room with some instructions. I'd like to know who you are, what you do, and what your biggest passion is. Nicholas, why don't you kick us off? Sure. So... Uh... Nice to be here. My name is uh, Niklas Lutin. Professionally, I am uh, heading up the product and technology team of uh, Tele2 Internet of Things. My passion is really what we're going to speak about today, leadership and um, how to shape uh, high-performing teams and everything around eternal learning, basically. So we're really happy and excited to be here and, uh, and continue the discussion. Amazing. Thank you for that, Nicholas. Rudy, why don't you go next? Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Rudy, uh, Rudy Bortolini. I'm Global Head of UX at Asabloy, and I'm really, really happy actually to be here with you today because I think the topic of performance, especially in the recent years, and I'm also including the pandemic, unfortunately, has been a quite of a, an unsolved question that in many large organizations we have been dealing and asking, reflecting on since uh, since quite a while. So I'm super interested to see uh, how the discussion will be going and to get some input from you. When it comes to passion, well, yes, I've been, I've been an artist. Maybe we have mentioned that before, but I'm now a collector because I don't have any more time. So I passed on the other side and that's me, but happy to be here. Amazing. Thank you, Rudy. Great. So Leo, do you want to go next? Sure. I'm super excited to be here. Uh, really looking forward to these discussions. Uh, so my name is Leo Nantos-Bos. I'm the head of product at Bontouch and we're a product development agency. We call ourselves a, a startup as a service Uh building digital products with some of the best brands in Scandinavia and beyond, like Swish and SJ and PostNord and SEB. My favorite uh, thing at work is, is really helping others when they're struggling with uh, you know, these big, difficult problems, uh, helping them open their eyes, see uh, more ways forward. And uh, I love seeing when, when they can uh, see a, a, a new way forward and then celebrate with them when they succeed with something that they maybe didn't think uh, that they could do uh, themselves at first. So that, yeah, that really excites me. Amazing. Thank you for sharing that with us, Leo. Sylvia, do you want to introduce yourself as well? Yeah, absolutely. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Sylvia and I'm Head of Product Communications in a pay tech company, Nexinets. Um, basically, I'm leading a team of product communications and we are covering a division of around 100 people, covering the communication around the different products that we are providing as well as the services that we are providing. Um, in terms of passion, um, I really, outside work, I really enjoy um, playing the piano, drawing and yeah, that's shortly about me. Amazing, thank you for that. Hi everyone, 
This is Chris Bennett here, the Nordics Managing Director here at Evolution. We're committed to doing recruitment in a different way that adds value to both our clients and candidates by providing you with amazing speakers and leading edge discussions on what's going on in the tech scene at the moment. There are three reasons why you should contact me. If you would like to speak on a future podcast, if you are interested in hiring awesome tech data product or gaming freelancers for your business, or if you are looking for an exciting new organization to work with, please get in touch. Thank you so much for listening, and I really hope to hear from you soon. Please enjoy the rest of the podcast. Now we'll move on to actually talk about the question at hand. So now we've established a context to each of you, let's move on to how to create a high-performing team. So as usual, I'll work around the room asking each of you to pose your question and the reasons behind it as well. So each of you will have the opportunity to give your take on the situation. Let's start with Leo. So Leo, your question was, how do you create the right conditions in the organisation for high-performing teams? So where did this question come from? Um, so yeah, this this interests me, and I'm really curious to uh, to get all of your um, input on this. I, uh, when it comes to high performing teams, I I feel like there's only so much that you can do within the team if the organization uh, isn't set up um, to uh, to help the team be successful. Uh, if the organization doesn't support uh, the the team's way of working uh, properly. Um, and I mean, I, I think we can see this in, in a lot of different situations, like, uh, we've, I'm, I'm sure we've all had hippo problems, you know, people, highest paid person's opinions, uh, people coming in and, 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 um, uh, making, making decisions for you. Um, of course, I, I think that's one of those uh, causes. Maybe the team is really struggling with being dependent on other teams or other departments that uh, demand delivery dates and estimates and clearly laid out plans or cost dependency issues and things like that, um, which requires the team to focus their efforts on, on uh, things that aren't maybe um, driving their goals and uh, allowing them to to really focus uh, their efforts on the right things. Uh, so that's that's why I'm curious about this. Amazing. Thank you for that, Leo. So does anyone want to go first and provide their insights or their answer to this question? I can start if you like. I was actually uh, particularly interested not only for, for the overall question, which I think is extremely interesting, especially when you say that there is only as much as you can do as a manager, right, to create the condition. And especially when it comes to like uh, the, the context, right? I mean, largely the context is something that you cannot define as a leader, I would say, or heading just a team, which is a component, let's say, within the context. But I was also intrigued by the part of the question where you were referring to like, you know, the hippo effect, right? I mean, when decisions are made without any rationale, but just because, I mean, someone has a louder voice or has more power when it comes to the voice. And my reflection on that, so I'll start from that angle, is, and this is because of uh, recently I've been through uh, Nielsen Norman training, and we were also tackling that specific uh, point. And interestingly, interestingly enough, I guess it depends uh, in the way you see it. And and I think we came to the conclusion uh, during the, those sessions that, well, if you see 
that as an enabler. So being closer to higher management, even allow them actually to raise their voice, even though you totally disagree, or you might disagree, or that actually is going to cause effect into your team performance. But if you treat that as a way of cooperating or to trying to build a bridge in between higher management and team, that is in itself some sort of a success, which is a, a bit of an awkward situation de per se, right? I mean, so the question to me is like, how can you see that being successful, even though it's impacting the team morale most of the time, right? Or actually the team ownership when it comes to decision-making? I don't think it's really uh, an answer. It's more like an input in that case. But if anybody wants to add, please go. I'm I'm sitting here nodding. I I think that's a really uh, really strong point. Although nods don't uh, work really well in uh, in podcast situations. Um, uh, to uh, what what I'm hearing you saying is instead of seeing uh, that as a as a challenge, uh, see it as an opportunity to engage even more with that person, um, which I think is a really way an interesting way of thinking about it. Amazing. So does anyone else want to provide some input into this question? Yeah, I can uh, I can go next. So um, it's, a, it's a very good question and I would like to take the, um, the angle more from, uh, from you as a leader. So I think, you know, first of all, it's as a leader, it's very important to, to always stay very firm in what you really believe in. That's something you always should, should carry with you as a leader, I think. So if you now, really believe in that your way of working, uh, that is going to create a high-performing team, and that is that is the right way, then I think you already have the arguments with you um, to uh, to carry around in the organization for this. So if you would, you know, look at the, the other way around, if you, if you don't really know what you're doing, if you don't really have a reason, uh, then of course you will struggle uh, in this type of discussions. Um, and I think for you as a leader it will impact you in a negative way uh, and it will get to you at some point uh, and that happens we will know that however i mean if you if you now really know what you're doing i think these type of challenges is more like a test for you right uh, to test if you really are as as firm believer as you think you are and i think that is a good thing in the end so uh, i tend to see personally you know these type of challenges as tests testing me uh, what i believe in as a leader and so if we go back to you know the organization maybe you cannot impact uh, everything else and maybe you cannot impact how other teams are are working or acting um but you can always strive to somewhat stand out to be brave heart and to show the rest of, of the organization and maybe for other leaders too. Uh, I think, I mean, really aiming to be an inspiration for other leaders, uh, that's something as well. And I mean, here comes a, a key thing for me in this area. I, uh, I believe that, you know, managers have employees and I believe that leaders have followers. So if you strive to be a leader, then, you know, and and basically that your team wants to be a leading team. That's also essential in all of this. And you have to work quite hard to get this type of followers. Um, it goes with your team, but also in the surroundings as well. And I think the the point I'm trying to to get to is that uh, you know leadership in your own own team. It's quite easy. 
But in order to be successful in a larger organization or in a matrix organization, um, you have to come with, you know, a, a large portion of belief and trust in yourself. Um, and you, you always will have to stay brave and also be humble for all the, the tests and challenges that you will get. Uh, and I think that will take you far. Yeah, that's, that's really sound advice. Uh, love that. Thank you. Amazing. Thank you for that answer, Nicholas. And Sylvia, have you got anything that you'd like to add? Yeah, um, I think by the way, I agree with everything that you have said. Um, I also think that it depends on the structure of the organization and the size of the company. Because when we're talking about big companies, it's more difficult to influence the organization as a whole. But if you have a smaller company, then I think it would be easier to impact, to showcase and to um show the value basically um i think something that was kind of highlighted as a leader we have as leaders we have also the role of influencing others so i completely agree that if you believe in what you're doing and if you think that the culture that you're creating for the team is actually working then Part of the job of the leader is also to show that to others and to try actually to, again, to influence and to spread that culture amongst. And if it's working for you, potentially it could work for the other uh, teams and they might actually get inspiration and start developing it and putting it in place as well. Yeah, definitely. I, I think you're all touching on on very similar points here of uh, leading, inspiring others and uh, uh, seeing seeing this as as an opportunity rather than a, than a challenge or a problem. That's that's really fun. Amazing. So, Rudy, did you have something you'd like to add as well? Yeah, specifically to the topic. I mean, all great what's said so far. Uh, I wanted to add a point about the 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 creating the followers right i i totally agree with what you said right i mean the leaders actually create followers that at least in my experience into very big enterprises it's um does translate or that has been my experience at least to translate those followers to be co-leaders there is always the, the risk that the leadership is seen to something so far and then the followers are only the one that get hooked into the idea or get hooked into the into the into the visionary view into how to build you know how to build teams how to build operations etc and i'm quite fond of as a, a little bit as i said before i think there is an opportunity always even when you know you have strong confrontation with top management and when they try to show their power to actually try to make them not only a follower but like a co-leader right i mean you really want to nurture your first follower to make that to be more impactful in, in an operation which i think is um is also an interesting point and then the last thing I was also reflecting on is this kind of a uh, imposter syndrome they call it and and uh, and you know th the way we define it here is to be brave enough back to your point Nicholas right being brave enough even though you don't have a full sense of control about what you are trying to promote or trying to drive within a company but being quite confident that you will figure it out, right? This is what we call imposter syndrome in, in, in my company. And I think that is uh, 
is almost an embedded quality into the way I see leadership. And I think is also somewhat of a well-digested attitude into our own operation. That goes hand in hand with trust, right? Once the trust has been built, you know, the fact that you will figure it out, that doesn't mean that you have all the answer at once, but you will. I mean, making sure that things will be secure, I think is also an interesting uh, quality to have. Also, because to your point, Niklas, uh, some of us is also both, right? You're both a leader and a manager. And this is where things get quite complicated because it's true, right? Somebody is making sure that the stair is robust so we can climb. The other one is making sure that the stair is on the right wall <laughs> to making sure that we're climbing the right house, right? So it's um, that is quite complex. No, thank you for that. Um, thank you for that, Moody. That's Really helpful. Thank you for providing that extra insight. Leo, do you have anything else that you'd like to add to after hearing all of these answers? No, I, I think this is uh, this is some really great stuff. I'm super happy with um, hearing this. Amazing. So let's move on to Rudy. Your question that you brought to the podcast was, how can we empower teams to exercise autonomy in decision making and determine their own working methods, all while steering clear of micromanagement and fostering a sense of ownership over projects. So where did this question come from? I would say from my daily challenges, <laughs> mostly, in the sense that uh, I'm the manager and the head of a function. So I'm, I'm managing and leading the function. It means that it, my team is actually very small, but they're all senior profile, right? And uh, let's say it's around five. But then we have more than 40 uh, designers within the group and that, you know, with different level of seniority. And I think, for example, it's quite of an interesting um, environment, I would say, in my team having very big seniority, right? Most of them are really, really, really well performing in their craft. They know their, their craft very well. I would say everything from UI to research to like design operation and so on and so forth. And so I think it's a very thin line. And sometimes I do have a struggle in to give them full freedom because I fully trust them. And as long as we have a very established vision, I think that was also something you were uh, saying, Niklas, right? I mean, the vision has to be there. It has to be clear and it has to be agreed upon the members. I'm quite sure that they can drive that the, that that vision within the craft that they are responsible for. At the same time, you know, I'm also responsible in some way of the operation. That means that I, I need also to manage and make sure that every decision that that those professional makes is in harmony with a lot of other decisions that the rest of the functions make, I would say. And and again, I hate micromanagement myself, and I had to I hate to be micromanaged eventually, right? So I think to me the question is about when you have you know high seniority and very strong professional where is the equilibrium in between leave them free since you have trust but also at the same time making sure that they have an extremely not narrow but extremely broad view into what are the implications of the decision that they made that is the background and have to receive any any feedback and any advice on that no that's that's a great question rudy does anyone want to start off and provide their insights into this question. Yeah, I'm happy to uh, to take it off. And uh, first of all, Rudy, wonderful question. Thank you very much for uh, for asking this one. I can probably talk for an hour uh, about this, but uh, I will uh, I will try to keep it short. Uh, 
So, uh, just as you, Rudy, uh, I'm not a big fan of micromanagement. Uh, I am a big believer in uh, empowering other people. And uh, I mean, easily put, I want to give authority uh, to the ones that is actually doing the work. And this is probably something that comes uh, from my time when I was not a leader, not a manager, when I felt like I should have more authority to to do and to decide. Uh, so it's built in from the beginning and I brought it into my to my leadership. So this is this is uh, a very important area for me. So uh, I think you know when you are trying to to act this way uh, and want to foster a culture like this, uh, that will automatically also mean that some decisions it won't really go in the direction that you thought it would. Because if you really are to delegate, to empower, um, to do less micromanagement, um, you have to leave some room for mistakes to be done, to be to be learned from, basically. And uh, you know, in this discussion of uh, my micro versus macro management, I would say, um, you know, also for this this part, I think this is a work that takes time. Um, both as individuals and, and teams, it's kind of complex creatures. Um, and both teams and individuals could say one thing, but they can actually mean another. Uh, and I've experienced a few cases like this. Um, you know, uh, lots of examples from my previous uh, leadership roles um, where people have said that we want less micromanagement. But then all of a sudden I get these control questions. Basically... What I have in front of me is a person asking to be micromanaged. Uh, and this is, of course, you know, a sign of some previous culture that has been there. Am I really authorized? Again, it's a test. It's a challenge. And this is the key moment uh, where you can change the direction for this, um, both for individuals, but that also goes for the team. And I think it's important to practice it, you know, one to one uh, with individuals in your team, but also in front of the team as well to really show that there are a change in direction. If that is the case, sometimes you're just tweaking, but sometimes you have to really, really re-steer the wheel. Um, and one thing that I have actually tested quite a few times, which has been very effective, is to to state it out loud and say that now you're asking me to micromanage me. Do you really want that? And that's normally an eye opener for pretty much everyone. Um, and 100% of the time, I get the response back saying, of course, I don't. Um, and I think, you know, another aspect is, uh, is the processes that you have in the team. Um, and all teams and all organizations, uh, they are different when it comes to processes, how strict they are and so on. Um, I think, however, that uh, most people, but far from all, um, they, they really thrive when they are empowered to impact when they can make small adjustments and do small improvements, but also big. Um, and I think, you know, as a leader, you have to be open for that. And even though if you want, again, uh, something to go in the direction you have thought about it, you have to be open, you have to be humble and let other people actually uh, do some mis mistakes. Um, so that's the key parts that I see in this. A little bit less than an hour. So I hope that was okay. <laughs> No, great, great answer as well, and great, great advice. Thank you for that, Nicholas. Leo, I can see that you've got your hand raised. Is there anything that you'd like to add? You're on mute. Oh. Yes, I'm not on mute anymore. 
No, uh, Niklas, what you, what you said about uh, responding back with what you're asking from me right now is to be micromanaged. Is that really what you want? I think we've we've had a rule at a previous company where I worked. There was if you're asking someone for advice on what to do, you first need to think through uh, what you're asking about and come up with your own suggestions for how to solve the problem. So if you're asking me for advice, you need to come with me. Come to me with solutions that you've thought of. This is one uh, one option that we could go with. This is another option that we could go with. Uh, I believe that the first one is is the right one. Uh, because in, in most cases, the answer is, yes, you're absolutely right. I agree. Let's go with that one. You made the right decision. And that is super empowering. That is a way of building up a person to be able to, to really um, uh, taking ownership of things, but it also gives you an opportunity, I think, to um, uh, to prevent some some easily fixable mistakes uh, from from happening. That's actually, you know, a methodology that I that I use myself. Um, you know, I could ask the question uh, as as you stated it. Do you really want me to micromanage manage you? Um, but a methodology that I I am using, and maybe the rest of you are doing that as well, is called one three one, meaning one problem, three options, could be good, could be bad, but it's three options and one suggestion. Then in the way you can exclude and so on. So it goes very much in line with, with what I like to do in these type of situations as well. So um, and well put, Leo. Definitely great advice, there, Nicholas. Sylvia, did you want to add something as well? Yes, a couple of things actually. So basically what you just mentioned made me think about coaching. And I think that one of the roles that the leadership role and the management role, they're changing directions nowadays. They're not like before. So nowadays we're becoming more coaches. And, and here it's super important actually to ask open questions, which are making the others to reflect. So basically, you don't give the solution, you don't provide the answer, but you're forcing the other person to find their own solution, asking them why, why they want to do that, what is the direction that they want, they want to take in, etc. Just open questions. Um, so for me, in this case, the coaching strategy is can be very impactful. Um, and then the other thing that I wanted to say is that I think that you used, uh, all of you used very important words. Allow failure, create safe environment, empower, create, build clear goals and expectations. And I think that is very important. As leaders, we need to provide. We are also helping to build a culture inside the team. And this culture is very important. And in my opinion, it should um, it should be based on everything which was mentioned. We need to provide more transparency, like what is the company doing, why we're doing what we want to do, and then to explain like uh, what is the clear goal, what is the clear direction. Um, and also super important thing, and I think that all of you, you, you mentioned those words which are keys for uh, exactly what we're talking about. Yeah, completely. Like everything you've just said is, yeah, definitely amazing. So anyone else want to add anything to what Sylvia's just said? Sylvia, did you want to add something else? Sorry. 
Um, yes, I just wanted to add something about the processes because we mentioned that as well, and I think that's very important. So some things that are very important in my opinion is to have retrospectives, for example, um, in order to review what's happening, what went well, what didn't go well, and what can be improved. Again, those are open questions and they um, they allow people to reflect and to provide their own suggestions and solutions. And of course, I think there are other um, processes which can be put in place in order to nurture that kind of culture feedback and also to es escape from actually micromanaging the people. Great. So I noticed, I think Leo raised his hand first, so we'll go back over to Leo. Did you want to add anything else? Yeah. So, uh, Rudy, you mentioned um, this uh, issue of maybe, uh, from from what I understood, it one one of the fears you have is that uh, people will go their own ways, and you will get uh, decisions made for ways of working, tools used, things like that, that. Uh, don't really allow you to work in an effective way as a company. Maybe it's efficient, an efficient way of working for that person, but it causes a lot of other problems in, in, in other places. Um, I, I think it's really useful to have standards for, uh, for certain things that you're doing within the company to collaborate effectively with uh, across teams and with other people. And, and I think one thing that, that you can do is, is try to figure out what those specific things are uh, together with the people in your team, what are the things that really matter that we do in the same ways, uh, using the same tools, the same processes, so that you can let go of the other things? And then, as the others others said, um, I mean, really providing um, a space to then try new ideas, uh, failing with those and, and having a safety net, uh, for, for picking people up when they fail and when they succeed, share those ideas so that you can reconsider the choices that you made when you said, this is the standard way of doing things. Maybe that is something, uh, that needs to change now because someone has actually, uh, tried spearheaded, uh, something new. Rudy, what's your take on all of this? Ah, I was taking notes. <laughs> no, I think it's, it's it's all great points, and I love the diversity of the angle to approach. You know, some of the uh, I would say some of the the, the 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 question that I'm asking myself as being a leader. So there were a lot of like very interesting points. I I, I think. I think there was a really interesting point about the, the the failure, right? And failing within confined circumstances so that the failure is fast and the failure leads to learning and it's also cheap, cheap in the sense that, you know, it's something that we can actually learn with and actually grow with, which is absolutely interesting. The, the last point, I think that was from, from you, Leo, it was about um, I think it's uh, other than yes, the, all the ceremonies and everything that you were mentioning, Sylvia, which is a is, is a great thing that we do apply. But the retro, you're totally right. Together, also with design critique, and we call it design critique, so that we make it plain that there's a way to be able to operate better, and we do it as a community, so we don't feel that you know uh, things come from either one, but it does come from a community. The other thing I wanted to mention is is two things: is actually resilience, because the, for example 
one thing that I've noticed is that very, very professional and very, very like T-shaped, for example, profile that some, sometimes I have in my team, they are very much like, you know, uh, some of them doesn't like politics and some of them are not so resilient into the amount of time we need to actually convey the same message in order for a message to go through, right? And that goes back into, I think, what you were saying, Leo. So making sure that they do understand a very, very broad context where decisions are made and what the consequences of the decisions are. But to, to, to a large extent, I think this is part of our role, right? Being a leader. So also being being able to create that buffer and create that echo of messaging that kept repeated and repeated within the organization. But uh, very great input, uh, everyone. So thank you so much. Yeah, great answers, everyone. And great advice as well, definitely. Thank you for that question as well, Rudy. That was a great question. So we'll move on to Nicholas now. So Nicholas, the question that you brought to the podcast was, in terms of building a high-performing team, how do you work with low and average performers? How do you bring these people up a notch? What have you done and what have you experienced in this area that you can share? So Nicholas, where did this question come from? Yeah, this question comes from all managers I've had as a leader, basically. I think pretty much all managers that I've had, um, they have asked me the question, um, you know, around what is my plan when uh, when there is someone and that isn't performing maybe at the highest level, you know, it could be pretty average performer, could be a proper low performer as well. Uh, so it could be crystal clear cases, it could be not so crystal clear cases and it could be circumstances and so on uh, i feel from my perspective that um, this question isn't that binary um, it is not you know black and white one or zero um, there are multiple ways and i'm i'm excited to ask this question now to to all of you to hear hear your uh, views and your experiences about it amazing great question so who would like to provide their answer first? Rudy, would you like to provide your answer to this question? Yeah, more than an answer is some reflection I had. I think it's a very, very interesting point because that ha happened because of many circumstances, by the way, right? I mean, not all top performer in different circumstances and different leadership will be top performer. So, I mean, that happened very frequently, uh, I think. And um, for example, lately, what we have been applying is is a self-assessment of the uh, skills we have in the team. And we do it as a team, not as a single person to try to clarify how we self-assess ourselves. And at least by self-assessment, we mean into like what are the key roles and the key um, areas that we want to evolve from a UX point of view, that being UI, that being research, design, operation, communication, et cetera, et cetera. And we do that as a team. And we try to aim clearly and we do it as a team so that we try to be as objective as possible with, because I mean, we put it in the front of everyone, right? So we, we also compensate one, uh, one to the other one when it comes to the self-assessment. And actually we take that, we overimpose it into what we think it will be valuable to build from a performance and from a skill point of view toward the company goals and we find the white spot, right? And those white spots ideally are the areas that we want actually people to be better, either in terms of skills or either in terms of performance, right? And then simply we take it as an open uh, open discussion as, as a table, as a team, and to say that our white spot has to be filled. 
And sometimes it can be very much a personal white spot. So someone needs to improve when it comes to the capacity, when it comes to the dedication, etc. Or sometimes, you know, people need to be trained. And that for us, it becomes some sort of a backlog of like possibility of growth, evolution and training. And we try to actually uh, follow up on that every every quarter uh, to, to make sure that we see progress. Otherwise, we see a challenge. Great. So, Nicholas, do you have anything to add in response to Rudy's statement? Uh, yeah, that was a very interesting um, um, addition there, Rudy. I mean, uh, to create this movement as a team, I, I, I find that very interesting. Uh, so a question back, is this something that you can use in your one-to-one conversations, meaning the team wants to go here, now uh, I want you to to move here as well, or how do you work with it um, on a one-to-one level? Yeah, I would say that uh, we typically do it first as a team, uh, so so we, we count the water, let's say, into the way we see ourselves as a team, not as an individual, but as a team. And then within this like uh, performance, then we actually map every single team member, right? So we know every single team member, what they are really good at or what they are very motivated by, etc. And then we use and together as a team also, we define what the goal of the team should be. So what we want to be better at. And actually we use that into our one to one, right? So we, we actually take that and then we say we are here now that directly with one person, right? And then we want to be here here tomorrow and we actually take it as a one-to-one if they have if they see it in the same way if they have that desire if they think that that is valuable and also if they want to take that challenge and this is also to try to provoke a bit the individual to say there is a challenge there is a way that we can actually overtake the challenge but there needs to be personal responsibility into first of all realizing that something should be improved right and also kind of acknowledging that they, they have or they feel like that they want to improve it, if that answers your question. Yeah, amazing. So, Leo, what's your take on the question? Have you got anything to add? Yeah, so I, I think there are uh, several ways of looking at this. You uh, you might have uh, um, people who are struggling in the team, right? They're, they're not uh, able to perform the work that um, we believe that they should be able to perform. And that's one thing. Another one, I think, is this. Uh, average performers that we believe could grow and flourish if we give them the the right opportunities. And I, I think one thing I've seen many times and that that um, uh, really has inspired me every time it happens is when you move someone else out of the way, uh, that creates space for other people to grow. So I, I think that's often a, a a limiting factor for people in the teams that there is already somebody else uh, that might be more experienced or has has received the um, uh, responsibility for something, and and they're always taking that opportunity. They're going to the certain meetings where they're they're always taking on certain tasks. And if you move that person out of the way and tell them, don't do that, uh, leave that to somebody else. That provides an opportunity for somebody else uh, to to learn new things and grow. And that's when I've seen people go from. Uh, you know, from from uh, just a team member to a, a strong leader to a high performer, and I think that's really exciting. Yeah, Nicholas, what do you want to add to what Leo's just said? 
No, I love the the bit uh, about the the average performer. Uh, if we could could label it that way, I guess I'm I'm guilty to to that label anyway. Uh, I mean, I have experienced that uh, a number of times. Exactly what you say, and uh, you know, it's been uh, people leaving, basically leaving a space. But I've also been in lots of conversations where people say, eh, you know, uh, I cannot I cannot do that because someone else is doing that or that even then if you bring up you know a question about a possible career path or development path you know that is not really being taken seriously because someone else is already doing it right and um, so it's um it's a quite easy thing at least in theory uh, to do um but then um just shuffling around or reorganizing that might be a little bit more more tricky um but I, I really like the uh, the idea. No, great, amazing. So, Sylvia, do you have anything you'd like to add to the question that Nicholas has posed? Yeah, by the way, I love the question. Um, I think it's very interesting, really, to deep to have a deep dive into that. Um, I think that that's quite an individual. Uh, the way things should be approached can be very individual because we have different personalities, we have different motivations. Uh, but maybe the first thing that I personally think that it's super important to deal with is to understand why. If we have a low performer, then why is it the case? Is there something that is bothering the person? Maybe they're not motivated. Maybe that's not the right role. Maybe those are not the right activities. And etc. etc. It can be anything. And when we discover the reason why, then work collaboratively with the person uh, to improve things to, and for them also to provide the suggestions, how they can improve, how they uh, they can get from point A to point B. In this way, we provide, provide them, we empower them in this way, which is super important. Um, and then I love your approaches about the average performance my personal intake for that one was again different people different ways for some people it might be there might be a stopper when you have someone else who is performing more is showing more um experience and etc but for other people that actually could be quite motivating uh, so basically for some people this could actually be healthy to have a a competition between um, a high performer and an average performer. So it really, again, it really depends on the person. But another intake that I wanted to suggest maybe is sometimes actually to make, uh, to force to some extent those two people to work together, the high performer and the average performer, because this could create an opportunity to learn from the other person. Yeah, amazing. So, Rudy, is there anything that you'd like to add based on what Sylvia's just said? Yeah, uh, I mean, specifically the last line, so pairing a high performer and, uh, let's say, a low or mid-performer, I think is definitely uh, something to be tried at least, right? I mean, most of the time it does work and it does also create, as you were saying, Leo, sometimes you can really see you know, something you didn't expect, like really flourishing opportunity. I like also what you said before, right? Sometimes there is a cap and that cap makes someone feeling that it doesn't really matter, right? I mean, why Why should I? Why should I? And removing that cap sometimes, you know, can create 
very, very interesting results. Well, one also thing that I wanted to mention is about transparency. You mentioned that before, uh, Silvia, right? It's, and I, I, I really have, for example, a very transparent relation with my team. And for example, every single year, at the beginning of the year, we take some time and we simply rationalize around the fact that you know, is everyone responsibility about what we're going to get at the end of the year? And I'm talking about the growth of the team. I'm not talking about any other things, but I mean, the, the penetration of the function in the group, I mean, that's one thing, and the growth of the team. So I would like all the time to make sure that they do understand that, you know, it's, it's on every and each one responsibility to prove how capable the function is. It's not only on the manager or only on the leader. Because I realize also, this is also self-realization that for quite some time, or in some in some cases, I've been trying to, you, you try to avoid that that gets seen, right? I mean, it, it, it's, not, it's, not really, it's not really ideal to actually say to your top manager, you have like mid performer in your team. You always try to compensate, to balance, that leads sometimes into that cap, right? I mean, to lack of responsibility, the feel that it doesn't matter. So, I mean, in my team, also because it's a small team, so I think they, they do understand that things matters in a very small team because the evidence is pretty explicit. We, we, we take, you know, half of a day at the beginning of every year to just rationalize into like, okay, from 12 months from now, I mean, do, do, do we suit the consequences of what we want to do? So we all feel that it's in our hands. And that sometimes can help. Leo, do you have anything to add in response to Rudy, what Rudy's just said? Yeah, so so we work in in maybe a slightly different uh, way than than many other companies. We're uh, divided into uh, on on two different axes. So we have the we have the teams. That's the that's the foundation of the company. The the product team that work together uh, on on building products. And then we're also organized in competence areas. So uh, you're you're both part of a team and you're part of a competence area with everybody else in the same role as as yourself. And that's where we have our our personal managers. Um, so we have a team manager, but you also have a manager. And the responsibility for that manager is really to help you grow as an individual, uh, grow as a as a in your skill. Um, and I, I think uh, so. We use that. Uh, we use the competence areas, and we we talk a lot about um, how people um, can grow, what they want to do, what they're struggling with. When we plan our teams, and when we make, you know, someone someone may be leaving a team. Uh, they're leaving the company, and there's a space, and we need to move someone around. There's a new hire. We we consider that at all times to make sure that. Um, we have a good mix of people where they can learn from each other, where they uh, get the opportunities to flourish. And I, I, I think that's, a, that's also a thing to, to consider that um, speaking with um, other, other people in the same role uh, and have that coordination within the company so that when, when people are moving and get new opportunities, that that perspective is also there. Uh, that... Um, uh, yeah, the, the the perspective of like uh, how they can learn and improve within their role. Great, thank you for adding that as well, Leo. Sophia, would you like to add anything else? Yes, last actually last thing that I wanted to add is constant feedback because I've seen in some companies. Um, there is a culture where the feedback or the self-assessment or the performance review is done 
once per year or something like that. But that's not enough. That's not helpful. I think that it's super important that actually um, there is a constant discussion with the uh, with the people and self-assessment from their side, but for also from the leader to provide um, some feedback. And this should be on a regular basis, actually. This should be the routine and not just to happen once in a while. And this would provide um, the basis for actually evolving. Yeah, great point there, Sylvia. Amazing point and great question as well, Nicholas. Thank you for your question and thank you for all of your answers as well. So by last but no means least, let's move on to Sylvia's question. So Sylvia, the question that you brought to the podcast was, how can leaders effectively showcase the high performance of a supporting role in a team or a team in general? Sorry, edit. I'll say that again. How can leaders effectively showcase the high performance of a supporting role or in a team in general within a company? And what do you think are the key benefits of doing so for both the team and the organisation? So, Sylvia, where did this question come from? Um, so... Basically, I'm leading a team uh, for product communications. So our role is to provide support towards the teams to showcase what is the value of the product and etc. But it's not part of building the product itself. So we have different KPIs. We have different ways of measuring our success and etc. And that's actually where my question is coming from, because how do we actually show to the others that that team is effective, that the the value of the work that we are providing to the others? And also, I think that certainly nowadays, with everything going on with the uh, economic situation, it is very important to showcase that high effectiveness and et cetera, and et cetera. So yes, that's where the question is coming from. And I'm super curious to hear your inputs um, on that. And it can it doesn't necessarily have to be on supporting role teams. It can, can be in general how to do that for any team. Great. Amazing question. So Moody, why don't you kick us off? Have you got any comments or an answer to Sylvia's question? Well, not a real answer because that's a tough question. But, but I think I have... Um at least uh, some inputs, let's say, because that is a very common challenge, I would say. And bigger the company, more structured the company, bigger the challenge. And especially, I mean, uh, our our focus is on UX and not all the time there is a lot of like true understanding and clear correlation toward what the business can benefit other than the given fact for the fact that they do invest in UX. So. The way we're trying to formalize it with our um, with our management is about we we defined I would say brand experience within that we have customer experience within that we have UX right and then within that we have all the you know specificity of UX and the way we communicate it to the leadership is about uh, mostly the way we see it is about uh, profit around UX especially when it comes to a certain operation like research, design systems, for example, uh, interaction patterns, reuse, ways of working, design ops, and so on. Revenue, 
when it comes to UX and CX. So this is where the bubble start to actually grow into the CX. And that could be measured. At least that's the way we think we measure it. So we are measured too, is around NPS. You, know, you might have a lot of target. It's questionable that NPS is the right metric to follow, but you know, it's, it's a very well adopted one. And then capitalization for us is the brand experience, right? Which is very hard to quantify, or you can quantify, I would say, the brand value. But I mean, in that sense, is the way that we went to to micro to macro, right? And try to understand, you know, the consequences of our small team working within a function that empower a larger function, which is CX, which has a quite of a very large focus from many companies because there is a direct consequences from an NPS point of view and then, you know, capitalization when it comes to like brand experience as a whole. Again, not really an answer, but maybe maybe an input or a stimulus for, for the rest of the conversation. Yeah, I'm on, uh, I'm on your side here, uh, Rudy. Uh, I don't think there is an, uh, an easy answer, at least. Um, but I think there are several ways forward. And um, if you allow me to, I will try a little bit of an uh, alternative angle on this one. So maybe it all comes down that the general norm in the society is that the society is rewarding extrovert people over introvert people. Now, the same goes in organizations, I would say, meaning the more visible you are, the chances higher that you get more praise, more recognition, and of Often these people are promoted more often as well, if I generalize. So look, extrovert people and extrovert teams, we kind of go broader, has a more clear career uh, path compared to supporting teams. That's normally the case in my experience. Um, and that could, for example, be customer support teams, could be finance, could be HR, um, just to name a few as well. Uh, and I think just bringing this perspective to you and the awareness of this perspective uh, that might take you far at least a bit so if we go back to introverts and extroverts i think you always have to ask yourself the question if the person could be person or if the team really wants the recognition do that person want to be recognized publicly or how do you really recognize this team or person Maybe, you know, a pat on the back for this team is enough. That could be the case as well. Just knowing that what we do here every day, that is actually paying off uh, and you're doing it well. Um, because I think, you know, if a person or a team don't really want that, then you're you're going to do something wrong. Uh, and I think there are other ways to, to recognize and showcase. And that could be in smaller teams. It could be within the teams. Uh, it could be with other teams in the same type of situations where it's more comfortable. Now, for those cases where I think the team want to be more recognized and showcased publicly, my experience is to... to make sure this team is actually being raised and praised and you as a leader has that responsibility what i have experienced the only way to do it is in a structured manner manner and that's the key word here the structure you cannot just do it ad hoc and send a little bit of praise here and there then it doesn't really have an effect it's just ad hoc right um, and that could be, you know, monthly information meeting or uh, whatever it is in your business unit, division, company, depending on size. Um, and I think, you know, about the key benefits you asked about, um, I think there there is a few to be mentioned. Um, 
of course, you have the personal engagement and the proudness um, that I think is so important for whatever you do in life. I mean, uh, what you do at work, that's part of your life. So being proud of what you do at work, it's important as well. Um, and you always want people to stand tall and, and be proud, right? Um, and then I think, you know, the outside in perspective as well. What do the organization really win from knowing about this high performance from a supporting team. And my experience is that you need to work quite actively on this, again, in a structured manner, um, with the praises, with the recognition, but also with the culture of actually raising and praising high performance. Um, and it's obvious um, benefits that comes with this. It, it's fostering a feedback culture, as you mentioned uh, earlier in this conversation, Silvia, as well. Uh, and a more positive and I would say optimistic culture, which also in uh, in hand, you know, promotes high performance and hopefully also improved collaboration more widely. Delvia, is there anything you'd like to add from what Rudy and Nicholas has said? No, not really. I think it's all such an interesting perspective and I actually love the comparison between extroverts and introverts. I must admit, I never thought about that. I never made that comparison, but I think it's so much on the spot. I really liked it. And uh, thank you for your advice as well. Great. So, Leo, what's your take on this question? Yeah, I, I think what you said, Niklas, about... Um, teams where some teams are more easily praised within the organization and others others are not. I think that's really interesting. We, we of course, have that um, situation with some of the products that we're working with are really impressive. Uh, we work with the Swish app, which essentially every Swede has on their phone. It's incredible. It's one of, one of those apps that... Um, you know, people want to work with that because it has a big impact um, on, on a lot of people. We also have teams working with internal products, uh, things that are maybe for the uh, staff at a, a certain company that nobody outside sees. And that is really a tool uh, where there isn't the same opportunity to work on um the, the really visual and the really tactile, the beautiful things, but rather you're you're building something that uh, makes people's lives easier when when they're working in a in a grocery store, for example. And and that I think is something that we've uh, struggled with a little bit. Like how do you how do you increase the value of those uh, those products and those product teams that aren't as um, visible? Uh, out in the world and and make sure that the people who work with those products feel the same kind of uh, proudness of, of the work that they're doing, this proudness, uh, the, the same kind of pride um, for, for the work that they're doing, but also the importance. And so I, I think that's really the key of talking about why is this an important product? Because even if, even if the product doesn't touch uh, 8 million people, uh, almost every day. Um, it touches a couple of thousand people uh, all of the time and it makes their day so much better if you do it the right way. And I think that's that's also a way of thinking about it for these internal functions. Like you might not be doing uh, the things that really affect the lives of your users or if affect the the uh, the same KPIs that many other people in, in the company are are 
uh, running towards. But you enable that and you make a big difference for the other people. And that's worth talking about. And that's worth uh, feeling proud about, I think. And so um, w- what I think you need to do if if you're not uh, feeling that sense from from the company is, is going up uh, a step in your organization and talk about that and see if there are ways that the people uh, around you can help you um, spread that message a little bit. Yeah, really great advice there, Leo. Rudy, is there anything you'd like to add? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I would like to build on what Leo just said. And and for example, recently, this is quite recent actually, we're trying to cluster most of the work we do within the operation in at least three things, right? Customer experience, employee experience, and product experience, because we want to a little bit equalize what you said before, Niklas, right? That there is a given factor, as you say, as a human being to be to want it to shine or to want it to shine less, right? But there is also a given function that does shines more in the organization, etc. And we want to try to re-equalize uh, that in some way, so that in if everything we do in some way has to do with either customer or employee or product, this is still experiences, right? And for sure, they, they have a different impact in the way we see the business or in the market, etc. but they should be treated equally in some way. And it's to try to rebalance a little bit that kind of a function that somewhat are in the shadow. And because they they that doesn't help anyone, I guess, especially themselves, right? Unless they are comfortable with the fact that they are in the shadow in some way. Um, yeah, that was my only point, but uh, really building on what Leo said, which I think was very interesting. Yeah, thank you for adding that, Rudy. Really, really insightful. So, Nicholas, did you want to add anything else as well? Yeah, I think, uh, Leo, you come with a with an interesting perspective, which makes me think, at least. And uh, if I relabel it to, uh, you know, a comparison in between a prestige product, let's call it like that, uh, versus a non-prestige product, just to simplify things. Whereas one comes with an obvious uh, carry of cred and credibility, while... Uh, the non-prestige product is coming without it, basically. I think, and I get a few ideas already uh, on this one, you know, how to work with this in terms of communication, where I think, you know, the Swiss app you're you're mentioning and the, let's call it the prestige product, it already have the cred, you know, the growth journey that is done, more or less. And now it's in some sort of farming mode to kind of keep it up to the level everyone expected to be and enhance it. While with the less credible products, maybe and smaller products, that has a tremendous upside, right? So why not build a story around that where, you know, the market is up for grabs Um, we have already got it with the other one. All right, let's go for the next big fish. Um, And this is what we have in front of us. Yes, this is how it looks today, but look uh, what our vision is for the future. So that's an that's a really, really good example you bring, Leo. So good one. Yeah, thank you so much for adding that as well, Nicholas. Sylvia, is there anything more you'd like to say or anything you'd like to say in response to what everyone else has answered? No, to be honest, I think uh, those were so interesting, many different perspectives and it was actually very interesting to hear all of that. So actually, I want to thank you because it was very insightful. Thank you. Very interesting question. Thank you. Same, same here. Yes. Thank you so much. Great. Amazing. So before we end the podcast, I'd just like to say thanks so much to our guests for sharing their thoughts. Leo Notras-Burst, 
who is the head of product at Bontouch, Rudy Bortolini, the global head of UX at Asset Blue, Nicholas Laughlin, who is the head of product and technology at Tele2, and Sylvia Podanova, who is the head of communications relay at Nexi Group. So if you are hiring for new technical roles or looking for a new role, feel free to get in touch with us here at Evolution. Or if you or anyone you know would like to be featured on a, on a podcast in the future, you can drop me a message too. I am Shania and you can find me on LinkedIn or email me at shania.olajugba at evolution-nordics.com or visit us at evolutionjobs.com forward slash UK forward slash Nordics. Thank you again to all of our guests and thank you for listening. Hope you can join in next time.